it's amazing to me that we're already, it, we're here. It's, it's time to start talking about Christmas. And I guess that's just how time flies by. Um, I, I don't know whether you felt like sharing gifts, but, but, um, but that's how I felt. And, and I actually want to just use that to kind of jump off onto two things to, to tell you about. First of all, um, on December 24th, that's Christmas Eve, um, we're going to be having a Christmas Eve service that night at 7 o'clock, a candlelight service here in this room. And I encourage you to come out that day, bring a friend. There's just something special about that Christmas Eve night when we, uh, we have a candlelight service and just, and really just praise the Lord. One of the things I really like about being here at Centerpoint Bible Church and, and singing songs, in my mind, um, I kind of like to think about those songs echoing through the hallways through the week. Now, I know they don't, okay? I understand physics and that doesn't really happen. But, but still, what a neat thing that we get to stand here and worship the Lord and praise Him and, and sing about the reason why we celebrate Christmas is because of Jesus. Now today, after our service, um, we're going to have what we call Focus Hour, and today is the first Sunday of the month, which means it is First Focus. And what that means is we all stay together here in this room, and there will be other people who join us. Once a month, we have First Focus, and that really is about one of about three different things that we will be doing. Um, First of all, talking about sort of an update of some things that are happening with our church, the direction that the Lord is leading us towards. Secondly, we will be opening up God's word and, and allowing him to speak to our hearts briefly. And then thirdly, we'll be practicing one of the means that God has given us to worship him. And today it is through communion. And we're going to, we're going to be doing that today during the first focus. We'll talk about what that's about, what that means. Um, does that save us? Is, how does God use that in our lives? So that will be today, right after the service. I encourage you to stay for that. Well, I trust you read your worship notes. There's information there we need you to be aware of. We're coming to a busy time. Uh, the next month or so gets to be really, really busy here at Centerpoint, and I encourage you to, um, to be reading that. Well, open up your Bible with me this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. If you find your New Testament, you need to go to the left because we're on the first page of the New Testament today, Matthew chapter 1. And here's what we do at Centerpoint. If you're new with this, uh, you may not be aware of this, but let me tell you how we, how we do it here. We believe that God inspired the Bible, the Word of God, that, that God moved holy men to write down the very words of the Bible. Not the ideas, not the concepts, but the very words of the Bible. And so when we come together as a church, what we do is our regular practice is we, we take one of the books of the Bible. There's, there's 66 here. Okay, it's not just one book. There's many, many books. And we, we, look, we, we take one of those books and we work through it verse by verse, word by word, sentence by sentence, chapter by chapter. And so we are delving into the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And if you look at chapter 1 of Matthew, you might be like, um, Lowell, are you aware what chapter 1 is about? It's a genealogy. Now, please don't leave, okay? I promise you that the Lord will speak to you from his word today through the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. Now, because we depend upon him so much, and because we're asking him to do it a miracle by speaking to us through a genealogy, let's go to the Lord in prayer, okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. This is is your inspired words. Lord, this is not just a book. These are your words to men and to women. 
I pray, Lord, now as we delve into the Gospel of Matthew, the start of a book that we would likely never write, but you moved holy men to record this, and it's useful for us today. So speak to us now, Lord, and let us hear from your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was just a kid, it would take us about a half an hour to travel from Kaiser, West Virginia, in the interior of the state, to a tiny little town in the mountains called Maysville. Anybody ever heard of Maysville, West Virginia? Oh, there's one of us. Okay. Two of us. And my wife. Three. Okay. So Maysville is like a blip on the road. I mean, I, there's no stop signs. There's, there's a few homes. And we would travel about 30 minutes down Route 50 on occasion. All seven of us pile into the station wagon and we would travel down Route 50 for 30 minutes to go to Maysville. Now you say, what in the world are you going to Maysville? You know, when I was a kid, I didn't really mind the ride, okay? I kind of enjoyed that, you know? It was, it was, it was kind of fun to, to see things and so forth. But the destination certainly didn't excite me. Because the destination was a cemetery. Did you ever have to do that with your, with your family? You have to go to the cemetery? Yeah, we would do that on occasion. And I'm like, oh, really? You know, the old teenager walk out into the car. And we, we dive in there and we travel up the road to the, to the cemetery in Maysville. Because that's where my family, my dad's family lived. And that's where, they, that's where his family was from. And so there in Maysville, if you go up to the cemetery up on the mountain there behind the little town, there's a lot of McDonald's that are buried right there in that sort of stretch of, of the ground there. You know, oddly enough, genealogy is one of the fastest growing hobbies in our country today. Do you find it a little strange? You know, this, this tracing back your ancestors. And I got to admit, okay, I have an account on Ancestry.com, and I've done a little bit of research and found who my great-great-great-great-grandfather was and his six brothers and four sisters, okay? Have you seen these family sizes back then? I mean, we're talking like litters, you know? I mean, they'd have all these kids. You know, there'd be six and seven and eight and nine and 15 children, how did they do it? I mean, we, get, we did four, and it just about broke our back. I can't imagine 12, but that's what they would do. That's what they would do. I think, really, people's study of genealogy is, is less about the, you know, the driving passion and the great adventure that ancestry is. I think it's less about that and more about the fact that we're all just getting old, you know? And when you get old, this weird thing happens. Think about this. When you get old, you think a lot about... What came long before you? Have you noticed that as you're getting older? It's funny that when you were younger, what did you think about? What was coming long into your future? The 25-year-old man and woman's thinking about what's going to happen when I'm 60 and 70 and, and, and those kind of But the 60, 70-year-old is thinking about what happened long before I was born. It's this odd dynamic that we do as human beings. And if we aren't careful, we never think about the here and now. We never think about the right now. I mean, some, it's cliche, but life is in the dash, okay? We never think about the, the here and now. Matthew starts with the genealogy. And that really seems strange to us. And we would say, well, I, I would never do that. That's not how I would, I would start a book. And you wouldn't. But to the people that Matthew was writing to, this made perfect sense. Matthew was writing to Jewish people primarily, Jewish Christians, but, but not only Christians, but Jewish people, and sharing with them the truth about Jesus. 
And very important to them was their genealogy. Let's start reading at verse 1. Here's what it says. Matthew 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadah, and Abinadah the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Abed, by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king. I'm going to stop there. Get the idea. A whole list of names. You know, in this first verse of Matthew 1, 1, are 10 words. There's more than that, but there are 10 specific words that I want to start at today. 10 may be the most important words in all the Bible. And today, I hope you'll understand a little bit more about what they mean. Look at 1, 1 again. The book of the genealogy of, ready? Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Ten words that speak to the identity of Jesus. Ten words that have everything to do with our present day and your future and your past. Ten words that drive this whole gospel. Ten words that drive the end. Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, it's driven by those words. Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, son of David. And in reality, that's what this genealogy is laying out for us. Look down at verse number 17 of Matthew 1. Look what it says. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to, Christ, to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the word generation just means an ancestor. It just means that somebody had a child, okay? And in reality, it can mean father, it can mean grandfather, it can mean a lot of different things, but it means that, that somebody is an ancestor of somebody else. And in verse number 17, all of the history from Abraham to Jesus is boiled down into three parts. And I want to give you a snapshot of, of the history from Abraham to Jesus. We had from Abraham to David... If you picture a big N, okay, see my N here? Everybody look up here, all right? See my N? All right, up, uh, 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 okay? What this genealogy tracks for us, first of all, from Abraham to David, we started Abraham, and God calls to Abraham to be his man, to be his communicator, to be his people. And what happens is the Bible describes this, this really crescendo, this, this upward movement from Abraham all the way to King David. And King David represents the zenith of the history of Israel. Jesus was a Jewish man. He was a descendant of Abraham and David. He was an Israelite. And David kind of represents, humanly speaking, the climax. So we go from Abraham to David. But then, what happens is, the, the people of God now begin to degrade. 
And what happens is because of the rebellion, because of their, their sin, we go from David at the zenith, the, our end now goes down, okay? And it goes all the way down to the captivity by the Babylonians. Here's what happened. You don't have to know all of your biblical history. Just hear this. The people of God, the covenant people of God rebelled against God. They wanted nothing to do with God. They said, God, we don't want you. We want our own way. We want what we want. We, we will be the king. They degraded. Here's what God did. God brought the wicked neighbors to the north and to the east, the Babylonians that came, and they took Israel slaves. They took them into slavery. So we went up from, from Abraham to the zenith of David and now to the Babylonian captivity. And that gets us all the way, all the way to verse number 11. And then in verse number 12, we go from the Babylonian captivity, from the, from the dungeon of the slave pit, literally. Slaves in Babylon, literally slaves. God then begins to rebuild. In the end, goes up till we come to Christ when Jesus was born. Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, Son of David, look at verse number one. I'll say just a brief word about a couple of the words here, okay? First of all, we need to see that Jesus Christ is the, the most important name in all of the genealogy. This is what Matthew wants to, wants to tell us about. This is who Matthew wants to tell us about. He is the most important aspect of the whole gospel. He is the one that, that is ruling. He is the one that all attention is to go to, Jesus Christ. Let me say a brief word about his name. Jesus Christ's birth name was Jesus. That's what his parents named him. It is the, Jesus is actually a, well, it's an English word, but in Greek, Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Joshua. So Jesus was named the Hebrew name of Joshua. And Joshua means God saves. That's what Jesus means. It goes into Greek, then goes into English. And we have God saves, Jesus. We call him Jesus Christ. Was that his last name? Was, was it Joseph Christ, the carpenter downtown? No, no. Christ is a title. So Jesus is his birth name. He was probably called in school Jesus, son of Joseph. Okay, More than likely would have been Jesus bar Joseph. Because that's, that's how you, you came up with the name. Okay, The last name, son of Joseph. But he is the Christ. When Jesus was born, very few people knew that he was the Christ. Very few people. Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the angels, in time, the wise men. But the, the word hadn't got out. He was Jesus bar Joseph. But now we know he's Jesus the Christ. This is his title. And Christ means the one. The one sent by God to perform or to complete his mission. But it says here he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now we need to understand what this means because it is very, very relevant for you. We're going to start with the son of Abraham. Notice in verse number two, Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Now here's what we're going to see as we look at Jesus being the son of Abraham. We're going to understand that Jesus Christ, he is the promise that God has made, the fulfillment of the promise that God has made to all 
people. Listen to that. To all people. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God to all people. Regardless of race, regardless of nationality, regardless of gender, regardless of your background, regardless of your preparation for this moment, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise for all people. And to see that, we're going to shine light on three, two sets of three names in this first section of the genealogy. From verses 2 through 6, we're going to shine the light on two sets of three names. Start with me at verse number 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Big hitters in the Old Testament. I mean, you can't get much bigger than those three names in the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember Abraham? Remember Abraham? Genesis chapter 12. Okay? The world had plunged into darkness. Because in Genesis chapter 11, all the world had one language. And the people of God, one, one really nationality, one ethnos, one language, and the people of God worked together and built a great tower. I'm sorry, the people of the world worked together and built a great tower in rebellion against God. And God saw that, said, this isn't good. So God mixed their languages. You ever wonder where nationalities come from? Where ethnos come from? Where, where all this, it's from God mixing languages. And so in a moment, all the people on the earth spoke a variety of languages. And then God spoke to Abraham. And said this. I'll put it on the screen for you. God said this. That he is going to really fulfill a promise to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham. Go from your country. From your kindred. From your father's house. To the land that I will show you. Three things now are going to come. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great. So it will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. Now listen to this. And in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's the promise that God made to Abraham. Through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, we saw in in Abraham's life, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the big hitters God worked in their lives. But I want to shine a light on three other names. Okay? Let's read on a little bit. Verse number three. And Judah, the father of Perez... And Zerah by Tamar. Any Tamars in the room? Anybody know a Tamar? No, you probably don't know a Tamar. Do you know this Tamar? First of all, let me tell you about her. Now, that's already a shock. Tamar is a woman. Now, that doesn't shock us. But to the recipients of Matthew, when they heard Tamar, I'm telling you, Their mouth dropped open. Here was a Jewish prayer of every Jewish man when he woke. Ladies, I'm not saying this is of God. This is a sinful prayer. This is the sinful prayer of a Jewish man every morning when he awoke. Tradition tells us that a Jewish man would wake up and say, O God, O Lord God, Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. Let that, 
Let that land on you, ladies. This, this was supposed to be the people of God. Every culture that has reject Christianity, every culture, study your history, every culture that has rejected Christianity has ended with the degradation of women. Over and over and over. Christianity has brought freedom for women. Study your history. The great Greek culture, supposedly the, the, the zenith of, of culture and of elitism. Greek men in their lives had three women. Greek men had three women. One woman to talk with. One woman to birth his heir. And one woman for his sexual pleasure. The Greek men. Three women. Every culture that has rejected Christianity has ended with the degradation of women. Here we have a woman, Tamar. That shocked the recipients. And what I want us to see is, this is evidence that, that Jesus is for all people, regardless of gender. Now let me tell you more about Tamar. Tamar wasn't just a woman, she was a widowed woman. And in the day when she was widowed, the people around her, you know what they believed? That you were only widowed if you were cursed by God. Her husband died. And it went from bad to worse. Because the system that God had laid in in place was this. That if a woman was widowed, her fam- his family that is, his brothers, his father would come in and take care of this widowed woman. Hers did not. Her husband dies, his brothers drop the ball, his father drops the ball, and now she's all alone and desperate. See what Tamar did? This is an ancestor of Jesus, Okay. Tamar one day knew that in a, in a desperate situation, Tamar needed help. So Tamar disguised herself, dressed as a prostitute, waited along the street till her father-in-law came by. She propositioned him. He hired her for the night. And she conceived and gave birth to twins. And their names? Well, it's right there. It's right there. That's right. In the genealogy of Jesus, we've got Tamar, a woman. (gasps) And the two sons of an ancestral relationship. There they are, Tamar. And Judah. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Judah. That's right, the father-in-law of Tamar. And she birthed Perez and Zerah. What do we see here? What do we see? Man's value system of what people are capable of. Man's value system of what people are worth. It's broken. It's broken. It doesn't end there. For sake of time, I can't develop all of the stories of every one of these 14 people that prove to us that God is the God and Jesus is is the Christ for all people. We have two other women in this first section of the genealogy. We have Rahab, a professional prostitute, and Ruth, a second widow. 
And Ruth was even worse because Ruth wasn't a Jewish girl. She was a Gentile, which to us doesn't mean much, but to the recipients, that's remember, remember, Matthew is writing this to people. And when they hear the name Tamar, and when they hear the name Ruth, and when they hear the name of Rahab, their mouths drop open, and God says, I can use anyone. My grace is sufficient to cover anything, regardless of your gender, regardless of your background, regardless of your morality or immorality, God can work in your life and use you in a dramatic way. Oh, what a great truth. And from these women and these men, by the way, the men weren't superstars either. Don't get me wrong. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're all sinners. Every single, all 14 names. That's a bunch of sinners, you guys. You climb up Jesus' family tree, and you run into problems real quick. That thing is naughty and messed up. You know why? Because people are. People are. I know, we dress up. Most of us showered this morning, okay? We look kind of nice. We, come, we, look, we look presentable. But you don't even have to climb up my family tree to find knots. You just walk back my calendar a day or two. And you'll find lots of knots and lots of problems. Man's value system is broken. The big hitters of the Old Testament, sinful men. The, the, the women of the Old Testament, sinful women. But in Jesus Christ, now listen to this. In Jesus Christ, they all sit down as equals. In, as, in Jesus Christ, they all sit down as equals. Prostitutes and kings, male and female, Jew and Gentile, moral and immoral, they all sit down as equals when they're regenerated in Christ. And that's what Matthew is trying to help us to understand. Let's go to the second set, okay? Let's go to the second set. The second set starts out with a, another woman. And in a bitter rebuke of King David, her name isn't even mentioned. Remember what I told you? Follow my in. Abraham to David, okay, to the decline into captivity, and then upward to the birth of Jesus. We're now at the zenith of Israel's history, King David. Jump with me into verse number six. And David was the father of Solomon, wisest man to ever live. Sounds pretty good, right? By the wife of Uriah. Now, wait a minute. That's kind of odd. But we'll keep going for just a minute. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and we'll stop there. Now, first of all, we saw in Abraham that, that Jesus is the, the fulfillment of the promise made to all people. But now when we look at David, we're going to see that Jesus Christ is the righteous king offered to all people. He's the righteous king, the only one offered to all people. It says here that David was the father of Solomon. Now that sounds fine. By the wife of Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. What this means is Uriah was not a Jewish man. 
okay? Probably a Gentile who converted to Judaism, all right? A Hittite, a happily married Hittite. He and his wife, he had a lovely wife, I'm told, okay? And they were happily married, and it was the, it was the most precious thing in his life was his wife. As a matter of fact, when one man described the life of Uriah, he said, it's like you have one little special lamb in your life. And her name was Bathsheba. Oh, and they were happy. They were happy. Uriah was a military man, a a, a special forces trooper back in the day. He's off at battle. King David, the zenith The king of Israel walks out on his roof one day, looks out at the roof that's just below his and sees a sight. It's a bathing woman. He sees her. He lusts for her. He calls his attendant and says, who's that woman? And they said, oh, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, your special forces trooper that's off at war. David, the zenith, the king, says to his attendant, go get her for me. So that night, Bathsheba, I mean, understand, she's a subject of the king. Does she really have a choice in the matter? She's brought to him. That night she conceives. David's got a problem. He's already got multiple wives, by the way. And this woman is pregnant. So through a manipulation of the details of the life of Uriah, he brings Uriah's life to an end and takes Bathsheba as his wife. And the child dies shortly after it was born. And David now, when confronted by his sin, is lying in a heap on the ground. This was the zenith. God's people. And the truth is, where verses 2 through 6, it was a list of, I'm just going to say common people, a list of shepherds, a list of farmers, a a list of carpenters, a list of common people. Verses 6 through 11 are all kings. They're all kings. And every one of them, every one of them are wicked men. Some better than others. Some were decent guys. But all sinners. All using their throne for their own selfish needs. Rehoboam, a rebellious son, rebelled against his father, Solomon, and brought civil war to the nation of Israel. We keep going. I won't won't go to every single one of them. But Joram, see his name there? He's the one that introduced the worship of Baal to the nation of Israel. Wow. Ahaz, the evil king who Isaiah stood against and actually was the reason Isaiah was martyred because of King Ahaz. Manasseh, the longest reigning king of Israel and one of the most wicked who practiced the worst sins of any, of any imagination. The sacrifice of Jewish children. These are the kings that are listed. And it all ended with the destruction of Israel and the slavery to Babylon. What is God saying? What is God showing as he brought 
the nation of Israel, the covenant people of God, from Abraham to the zenith of David, and now declining in the captivity. It's this. We need a king, folks. We need a leader. You and I need a leader. The Bible says that we are sheep. You know that? We're sheep. Not because we're woolly and, and pretty and fun to hold. No. Because a sheep always lends itself in trouble. A sheep will walk off the edge of a cliff. A sheep will walk into a, pound, a, a pond of water. A sheep, if it falls over on its back on a dewy morning, will lay there on its back and die. <laughs> on its backside. It can't roll over. And the Bible says that we are like sheep. And we've all gone off to our own way. We need a shepherd. The Old Testament, when speaking of kings, like the 14 that are listed from verses 6 to 11, called them shepherds. Isn't that interesting? Rehoboam was meant to be a shepherd of the people. Ahaz was meant to be a shepherd of the people. Manasseh was meant to be a shepherd of the people. And where did they go? into slavery. Not because a powerful nation next to them wanted their workforce. No. No. Because God brought the Babylonians into their life for judgment. What do we learn from this? We learned that we need a king. We need a leader. We need a shepherd. Now, the Bible describes the kind of shepherd that, that we need in Isaiah. And let me read it for you. It says this, For unto us, or for to us, the ESVA says, a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Hear that? The government shall be upon his shoulder. So that means he's going to pick up the government, man's leading and put it on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let me read the next verse for you. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice And with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Listen to this last phrase. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Wow. God recognizes that we need a king. And what happened in verses 6 through 11 and through much of your Old Testament is God God needed a very viable lesson for us to learn. He needed a tangible expression of a truth. And that is this, that we are ill-equipped and unable to lead ourselves. And so we got to the zenith of David. And man thought, huh, we're doing pretty good. I mean, look around. Look at Israel. Look at what we're doing. I think we can handle this without God, as man often does. And so God used the nation of Israel to teach us the truth today. If your life is left to you, you will wreck it. That's the lesson. I challenge you to learn it. 
Listen or feel it. That's the reality. If your life is left to you, you will wreck it. It has nothing to do with you, per se, because I could say it this way. If my life is left to me, then I will wreck it. What we need is a king. What we need is a leader. What we need is Jesus Christ. Have you submitted your life to him? I mean, truthfully, is he, is he the Lord of your life? He is the hope for all people. He's the only hope there is. The only hope there is. Son of Abraham. He, he's the one. Okay? Is he the Lord in your life? Is he the master of your life? This is what we're to learn here. That earthly kings and earthly rule ends in destruction. And ultimately, it ends in sin, death, and hell. So, we jump into verse number 12. Read with me. It says this. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, who was a deposed king, he and his brothers, the Babylonians, would place them in the, on the throne and they would upset the Babylonians so they'd kill him. And then the other brother would step in. And so brother after brother after brother didn't, didn't lead the nation of Israel. I mean, they're, they're captive in Babylonia. And then we read on, was the father of Shetiel, and Shetiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Elikim, and I don't know how to say the rest of these names. Here's something interesting about these names. After you, after you pass Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was one of the, one of the leaders that led the, the nation of Israel from Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild. Okay, we don't have to get into that, but Zerubbabel was actually a big name. But all the rest of those names are nobodies. They're nobodies. You can't find any other biblical truth or, or fact about any of them. The only thing we know about the rest of those names until we get to Joseph is here. Is here. Now, the first 28, we could talk about Tamar and Rahab and Abraham and, and Rehoboam. We could talk about them. But in this last 14, there's nothing I can say. So I want you to go back with me to your high school English class. Uh-oh, right? High school English, okay? All right, in your mind, don't answer out loud. What is a noun? Good, good. A person, place, or thing, right? A noun is a person, place, or thing. So for the first 28 verses, we looked at the nouns, right? We looked at the nouns because we looked at the people, Good, you guys are with me, all right. For the last 14, we're not going to look at the nouns. Let's look at the verbs. For the last 14, let's focus on the verbs, okay? It's very easy to do. There's only two. There's only two. Was the father of, 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 and the father of. That's one verb. One verb. You know what it translates to? The father of. That's right. Good, good, good. And here's what it means. 
It's an active masculine verb. It means that this man, okay, this man, he was active in this process and fathered a child. That's what it means, okay? But once we get to verse number 16, there's a change. The verb changes. You see it? 30, let me check my number here. Thirty-nine times, there it is. Thirty-nine times the active masculine verb father of is used in this passage. And one time, one time the verb is changed from passive to passive and feminine. See it? Let's read it. Verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, masculine, active, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Notice what it didn't say about Joseph. Joseph didn't father Jesus. The verb here is feminine. It's Mary, and it's passive. Passive. What do we see here? What do we see? Jesus is the son of Abraham, He is the hope for all the world, regardless of background, regardless of gender, regardless of morality. He is the one hope. Jesus is the righteous king. There is no other. Every other man, woman, or child is going to live for their own selfish desire. But Jesus laid that aside for the good of us. And lastly, we see that Jesus Christ is the one humbly sent by God. He is the son of Abraham, the son of David, and the son of God. That's right. That's what we see here. This is what Matthew wants us to see. This is no ordinary descendant of Abraham. This is no ordinary descendant of David. 39 times this father of is used. Matthew's trying to make a point. If I say father of, 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 I lost count. 39 times and then switch it. I'm making a point. Don't miss the point. Jesus is no common man, he's no good teacher. He's not a prophet. He's not a person we should give some attention to. He's not the the person that's the reason for Christmas. No. He is God. The son of God. Joseph was involved in his life. Passively involved in his birth. Meaning he was there watching. That's what that means. Mary, mother of Jesus. She conceived through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was born a miracle of God, the Son of God. Oh, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Isaiah writing 700 years before this, and Isaiah was almost the the Christmas Christmas prophet. Here's what he says. "For For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. That's God. Who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. This is God. He dwells in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. Think of Tamar. Think of Rahab. 
think of Rehoboam. Think of the nobodies that were listed in verses 12 through 16. The lowly, the contrite. Contrite means that you're bruised with repentance to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is what Jesus has come to do. Have you put your trust in him today? Is he your king? Do you recognize he is the, he is the hope for all people? The king for you? The one sent by God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your will and for your way. For the hope that you bring men. For the hope that you bring women. Lord, that you are not bound by the artificial boundaries that man develops and designs and protects. Oh, no, Lord, that's not your way. You are a God of grace for the lowly, for the contrite, for the wicked kings, and for the sinful servants. Lord, you have come to bring us freedom, come to bring us forgiveness. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.